Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tanya Hester. She is the author of a new book called Work Optional, Retire Early, the Non-Penny-Pinching Way. She also is the creator of a website called OurNextLife.com. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Tanya. Thanks so much for having me. So let's just start with uh, why you wanted to create a book like this in the first place. It's about not having to basically work all your life until 65 and be able to retire early and still have a decent life. What was your motivation behind doing this book? I think as a society, we do a fairly terrible job of educating people about money and financial literacy and the options that they have available to them. And we all know this in the form of the looming retirement crisis. And it it felt when we discovered that early retirement was possible, we being me and my husband, Mark, that we were let in on this magical secret, <laughs> which I know sounds kind of silly to say, but that's yeah. really how it felt. And it sort of just felt like I can't keep this to myself. This is something that a lot more people could do than are currently doing it. Maybe not necessarily everyone could retire entirely in their 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, but a lot of folks have more options available to them than they realize. And that was something that I really wanted to be sure uh, that we could tell more people. Now, this fits into a movement which is called the Financial Independence Retire Early, or what's called the FIRE movement. Are you Mm -hmm. one of the, the founders of the FIRE movement? Oh, not even a little bit. Uh, There were folks who were talking about this 20 years ago or more, uh, particularly Vicki Robin, who wrote the book, Your Money or Your Life. And Mr. Money Mustache is the blogger that a lot of folks know. He started blogging about this several years before I did. Um, I also don't even necessarily love the term fire, but certainly I think that I'm probably one of the the voices out there that people recognize now, people who are just coming into the space. Uh, but there, it's really a diverse movement. It's a really good thing. So tell us a little bit about that movement. Uh, what kind of traction has it gained and kind of what is it advocating? Yeah. So I think the financial independence retire early movement is just kind of the broad idea that we don't have to follow the standard script that we're taught from an early age is what we're supposed to do. You know, that you do well in school, you maybe go to college, maybe not, but you get a job, you buy a car, you buy a house, you over time hopefully make more money, you buy a bigger house, you buy a newer car, and you keep repeating that until you retire. Um, I think a lot of folks are questioning whether that's really the right narrative, whether we really need to keep upsizing our lives, whether consuming more really makes us happier. I think you see a similar sentiment coming out in things like the tidying up, like the Marie Kondo kind of movement of decluttering, uh, of people questioning the same things of does buying more stuff make me happier? And if not, then maybe there's a different path. And so broadly, I think that's what the FIRE movement is about. Um, But you really have all these different takes on how to do it, on why to do it. You have sort of the the engineer subset who's very much all about optimizing every little thing in life to figure out, okay, what's the least amount of money I can spend uh, and what's the fastest I can possibly quit my job forever. Then you've got folks more on my end of the spectrum, which is 
people who are less interested in optimizing every little thing, people who are less interested in pinching pennies or being super frugal, but who do see the value in saving money so that we can buy some time back and buy some time freedom earlier in life and not put all of those things that we dream of doing off until our 60s or 70s. So in the beginning of the book, you talk about your story a little bit. Just kind of summarize the kind of work you were doing and the kind of pace you had and what made you say, I don't want to keep doing this for another 30 or 40 years. I want to do something different. Just kind of tell that story a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So my husband, Mark, and I both had really good careers. We worked in political consulting. He was in research. I was in communications. And we had the kind of jobs where as we moved up the ranks, we had to be reachable at all times. And when we weren't working, we really loved to travel and to get out into the mountains, especially at the time we were living in Los Angeles. And we were going up to the Sierra almost every weekend, either to ski in the winter or to backpack and climb in the summer. And we realized as we moved up and we got more promotions that we had less and less time to do that. We also couldn't say anymore, we're going to take a week off and go backpacking. And by the way, where we're going, our cell phones don't work. Uh, That ceased to be an option. We could no longer be unreachable for periods of time like that. And so we, we sort of hit a point when we said, you know, this is what society tells us success looks like. We're getting fancier sounding titles, we're making more money, but what it really means is we actually have fewer options in the rest of our lives. We aren't able to go do this outdoorsy stuff that we love. We aren't able to unplug and that just doesn't feel healthy. And at the same time, I knew um, my dad has a disability that I knew could be hereditary. Uh, We still haven't identified the genes for it, so it's a little complicated, but I knew that that could be in my future and it forced him to stop working in his early 40s. So I knew, you know, hey, I might not have infinite time to be fully able-bodied and to climb mountains and do all this stuff I want to do. So it was sort of a culmination of those realizations of we're not getting happier as we move up the ladder and I might not have endless time. We sort of said like, well, what can we do differently? And that was when we got onto the path to early retirement. We started saving our money pretty aggressively. And about six years after we made that decision was when we were able to leave work for good. And so now we never need to earn another penny. We probably still will because I think humans on some level are driven to work and to create things, but we're no longer reliant on employment for that. So for the people who are thinking of the same thing, they're working really hard, all kinds of hours and they're 20s and 30s, and they say, I just don't want to keep doing the rat race forever. Mm -hmm. Talk about the process a little bit of first thinking about it, and then we're going to go into more detail, but what financial moves you need to make and over what period of time to be able to realistically uh, retire in your early 40s or so. Yeah, you know, I think the first step is not financial. It's really about envisioning the life that you want to live and really thinking through the details of what that looks like. Where is that? What kind of living situation? What do you want to spend your time doing every day? Because you need to know what those things cost. And it's only when you can kind of create that full vision that you understand, okay, here's what my future life will cost. That gives you a target then for how much you need to save and the way that you can develop the plan to figure out how quickly you'll do that is by looking at your current spending and saying, okay, what of the current spending could I eliminate because it doesn't actually make me happy? And and that's very much, I think, like the process of decluttering is looking at each expenditure in your budget or just in your spending and saying, does this spark joy for me? I mean, to to use Marie Kondo's line, like, does this truly make my life better in some way? And if it doesn't, can you cut that spending out? Can you eliminate it? And then once you know, okay, here's the difference between what I earn and what I spend, you can then start to extrapolate 
out how long it will take you to save. And there are a bunch of things you can do to save faster. You can really focus on earning more in your career and keeping your lifestyle constrained so that you spend the same year over year even as you earn more. That's the the fastest way to save. You can also get really into optimizing some of your expenses. Some people love that. Some people don't. Uh, But all of those things help you get to a place where you can speed up your journey. Do you need a bull market to make this work? I mean, you were doing this at a time when the stock market in general was going up, getting a return on your money that's good. Is that an important part of this, being able to retire early? You know, it it certainly helped us. And I think that those who are blogging about early retirement now have mostly fallen into that cohort of being really, really helped by the historically long bull market. But that said, historically, on average, the stock markets are making about 6.8% a year after inflation, which is really good. So assuming you don't hit just a historically bad bear market, this is all still very possible. And even if you do hit a a stretch of bear market, you know, we know that every decade in history, the stock markets have been up uh, over the prior one when you adjust for inflation. So it's been a bit faster the last several years, but all of the principles apply sort of no matter what the stock markets are doing. What's different about what you're doing uh, or you did uh, plan for early retirement Mm -hmm. as opposed to traditional retirement where you think of uh, age 65 and you have 40 years of working life to prepare for it. What What is the difference kind of mental attitude between those two? Oh, I love that question. You know, I, I think that the idea of having 40 years to save for retirement lulls a lot of us into a false sense of security. You feel like you have a lot of time to save for retirement. And so most people put it off and think, well, that's way, way down in the future. Why would I not spend this money now and instead save it for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years from now? Whereas I think when you retire early, you have a very different mindset. You know that you have a very limited time to do all your saving. And so you view it differently and you get much more serious about it. So in our case, we did have a a head start on some of our traditional retirement savings. So when we went into the six-year period of saving intensively for early retirement, that was already with some money in 401ks and IRAs and that kind of thing. But we said, we only have, you know, six to 10 years to do this. We need to save as much as we can. And I think that the mindset is just entirely different. So we hear every day, there are news stories that come out that say, you know, the average person in their fifties only has a few thousand dollars saved for retirement. I mean, we know for a fact that people are putting it off and there's something about condensing your career and knowing you have a shorter clock that forces you not to put it off anymore. Yeah. A lot of people have almost nothing saved for retirement actually. Yeah, uh... yeah, exactly. Um, so, so what are some of the things that people don't often give thought to when, when planning either traditional retirement or early retirement? You know, I think in both cases, the, the piece that people don't spend enough time thinking about is actually what you want your life to look like. There is a lot of research on traditional retirees and some of the struggles they have, and most of them really do come down to not feeling like they have a purpose in life or not feeling like their life is meaningful. Or just an example of like if you, you're used to having a job and people ask you for your opinion every day, you may not love that job. You may not love the things you're giving your opinion on, but as soon as people are no longer asking you for op- your opinion, you notice that difference and you say, wow, no one cares what I think about things. And that can be a really big blow to your ego or your sense of self. And I think that that's no different with early retirement. And so I encourage people a lot in the book to 
think that through, to actually think about how will you feel valued in the world? What is it that's going to help you feel excited to get out of bed every day? And that might look like community service. It might look like starting an entrepreneurial venture. It might look like just being very involved in the lives of family. I mean, it, it really could take any form, but that's something that I've heard from quite a few people that they didn't think through. And even for people who were very well prepared financially, I've heard from quite a few folks who've ended up going back to work because they just felt very aimless and felt like they didn't matter in the world. And so I, I really encourage folks to put the thought there, not just into the spreadsheets. They need a sense of purpose, even though it's a different purpose than it was when they were working on a job, you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, like if you think about your whole life, you've basically been a very little kid or you've been in school or you've been in a job. You've had all of these external factors shaping your life, telling you when you had to be in places, telling you what you had to spend your time doing. Almost none of us have ever truly lived as adults without structure. And it can be very jarring if you haven't put that thought in ahead of time. Yeah. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Tanya Hester. Uh, she is the author of a new book called Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way. She's also the creator of a website that talks about this whole movement of early retirement called ournextlife.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tanya Hester. She is the author of a new book called Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way. She's also the creator of a website called OurNextLife.com. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Thanks for having me. So what would you have done differently um, about saving for early retirement? If you'd kind of go back in time after you've actually done it, what would you have done differently from the way you actually did it? The biggest thing, honestly, is I think we probably would have gone just a little bit more slowly. There is definitely a tendency that I've seen among folks pursuing some form of early retirement of getting really excited. You look at the numbers, you see what's possible, and you get in this mindset of, I want to get there as fast as I possibly can. And particularly, I think, because Mark and I were working in politics, which I think everybody, regardless of what side you vote for, <laughs> everyone can understand that it's uh, it's a little bit less fun than maybe it used to be. Uh, it's, it's a tough time to be in that field. And so, we really got in that mindset of let's let's do this as quickly as we can. We didn't use all our vacation time. We just really focused on earning as much as we could in those last several years. And the result was we we really burned ourselves out and got to a place where it was hard to keep going. And I wish that we had taken just a little bit more time with it and kind of stopped and smelled the roses a little bit, still used our vacation, kind of enjoyed the journey a little bit more because our last year, we really did go a little more slowly. We took more vacation. We tried to enjoy work a little more and we really did. So I think that's a a big piece of advice I'd give folks is if you get really excited about going on a big savings journey like this, make sure you're also enjoying your life in the meantime, because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know what the future holds. And so you don't want to make yourself miserable in pursuit of a future that you may or may not ever reach. What kind of time frame should people realistically expect from the time they decide to do the early retirement to when they actually do it? You said yours was six years, and that was a little bit too short. What is a realistic time frame that most people in normal circumstances would be able to pull it off? Yeah, I think for most folks, a time frame of 10 to 20 years is pretty typical. Uh, a lot of folks are much closer to 10 years, but it's going to depend on all your life factors. So for Mark and I, we have a few things going for us that made it a little easier to save faster. So we don't have children. Uh, we were able to buy our house at the bottom of the market during the Great Recession. So we paid quite a bit less for it, which let us pay off that mortgage really quickly. Whereas if you're buying you know, in a healthier housing market, you're going to pay a higher price. That's going to take a little bit longer. Of course, kids Kids cost money. I'm not going to be one of those folks who comes on here and says kids are only as expensive as you make them because the reality is that childcare costs a fortune and other factors too. Like if you had student loan debt that is significant or you have other family obligations that you're taking on, all those things are going to add to your timeline. But still, I think in the in the 10 to 15 range is most common and 10 to 20 for folks who maybe just need a little bit more time. But we're still talking about, for most people, being able to pull the plug really, really early when you consider that the average retirement age is 62 for women, 63 for men. If you can even retire in your 50s, even late 50s, you're still getting several years back from what most people achieve. And that's a huge thing. That's worth celebrating. What are some of the big conceptions about this whole early retirement and fire movement. I've heard that it's kind of very elitist and 
the average person never has a chance to think about this, and it's only for you know, the super well-educated, the very well-off. Is, is that one of the misconceptions that people hear about it? Absolutely. I think that if you look at a lot of the news stories, particularly going back several years, most of the people who've been featured are white male software engineers. <laughs> yes, they can I afford to retire early, yes. Yeah, and of course, like it's understandable that you'd have a, a heavy representation in that crowd because you've got folks who are making six figures, if not right out of college, certainly within a few years of that, and are naturally inclined to want to optimize every little thing and build out the world's most uh, intense spreadsheets. So there are certainly those folks in the movement, but I included a lot of folks in the book as as brief case studies to show that you don't need to come from that background. And the truth is that I know folks who've worked just regular corporate jobs, folks who are teachers, who work for nonprofits, I mean, from every industry imaginable, including, I know, several people who didn't go to college and worked in technical trades and have still been able to do some form of this. I mean, at its core, all that we're talking about is minimizing your cost of living, both what you need to live on now while you're saving and what you need to live on now in the future. And the less that costs, the less you need to save. So in some ways, people who earn more, who are accustomed to a very high standard of living are actually going to find it harder than will those who are comfortable living very frugally. So I say all that not to say that there is one way to do it, but just to encourage folks to to run the numbers and see if it might be possible for you because I, I suspect you might be surprised. So yeah, the, the kind of white males in tech, that's a big misconception about the movement. I'd say the other one is the idea that we're all super, super frugal, that no one ever buys new clothes or spends money on restaurants or things like that. I think most of the people who I know who are pursuing early retirement or who've achieved it live lives that look pretty normal, uh, pretty middle class and comfortable. That's certainly true for us. They've just really focused on containing their spending or constraining it while focusing on increasing earnings, which is definitely what we did. So if you're in a field particularly where you know that you have higher earnings potential in the future and you could really apply yourself and work on earning more, then you're in a great position to do this without necessarily having to try to cut out all the joy from your life. In fact, that's the opposite of what I recommend. You still want to enjoy your life. You just want to try to keep your spending level while you boost your your earnings. So the first part of your book uh, called Work Optional is the work optional life you want to live where you kind of define what it's about. What are some of the steps you should take to define what that early retirement life would, would look like? It's funny because one of the the common phrases now in the FIRE community is this question of what's your why? Why are you doing this? And I think that's really good. We need to be asking ourselves that question. But I also think it's it's an overly large question. It feels like high pressure. It's like asking a five-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like, no, you know, that it's just, it's it's too big and amorphous. So what I did in part one of the book is I really tried to break that down into very discrete se- sections. So what do you want your regular day to look like? Who are the people you want included in this vision who you want to spend more time with? What are some of the issues you see in your community that you feel really strongly about that maybe you could play a role in solving? It's questions like that that we go through and also looking at like, what's the best money you've ever spent? When were you the happiest? What did that look like? To really help you kind of flesh out that vision. So instead of just saying the like, "Mm, I can't wait till I don't have to go to work every day, you actually know what that life that comes after that looks like. Both so you know what it costs, but also so that you have that vision, which I think is, is important inspiration. 
whether you're going on a very fast track or a slower track to early retirement, we're still talking about years. And even for us, which was really quick, still six years, you know, that's six years you have to keep putting money away and stay disciplined. And having that inspiration of knowing what life will look like next is a really, really powerful motivator to keep you going when it gets tough. You say that defining your self-worth is part of it. As you say, people are have their self-worth tied up in their job, but to have another source of self-worth that's not that is something you should think about before you uh, quit your job, actually. Yeah, 100%. It's it's not a question that most of us are accustomed to asking because we get that in different ways. You know, again, we're in school for much of our younger lives and then we're working or we, you know, maybe for folks who stay home with, with kids or uh, in a caregiver role, you're very defined by that caregiving. And so early retirement or semi-retirement, career intermission, you know, whatever you're aiming for is for most of us, going to be the first time when you have to define your self-worth for yourself and it's not externally defined for you. And it's not always an easy question to answer, but it's absolutely a worthwhile one to really spend some time thinking about. So you have an illustration of the book of kind of three circles, adventure, service, and creativity uh, are three areas you want to do something in when you're in early retirement. How do you decide what to emphasize amongst those three? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So the diagram you're talking about is one in the book where I I walk through our answers for me and Mark of what kinds of things we wanted to do after we retired early. And then we tried to find the common themes through all those. And so, yeah, adventure, service, and creativity were our themes. And I, I really encourage readers to to identify your own. For us, you know, we try to look for things that cross over to multiple of those. So for example, adventure and creativity, we do a lot of outdoor photography when we travel or when we're out in the mountains. And I bring those onto my blog, Our Next Life, or onto my Instagram, which has a lot of really beautiful mountain photography. Uh, so things like that, that that check more than one of those boxes are really good. Or uh, like service and creativity. I think of the book, Work Optional, in that vein of, you know, people who think that you make a bunch of money from books just aren't aren't sort of current on, right. <laughs> on right. the publishing industry. You know, J.K. Rowling and a few folks get rich on it, but most of us do this because we are passionate about it and we have information we want to share. So I think about writing the book as being both a creative endeavor of thinking how to shape this and write this, but also service of sharing what we've learned and wanting others to get the benefit of it. So it's it's a little bit of, of experimentation of finding things that sound fun and sound interesting and also align to some of our purpose, but uh, it's it's definitely a work in progress. For people who see this but say it's a little bit hard for them to uh, figure out how much service, what the, how they want to be creative, what kind of adventure they have, is there like a, a FIRE um, consulting uh, community where you can work with people? and do, do you work with people kind of going through this process to help them figure it out? I, I think you've just found a business idea for some <laughs> enterprising person. Uh there isn't exactly, you know, there are some online places where people gather and folks do throw out some questions like this, uh, though I think the reality is a lot of the online communities that exist around financial independence are very numbers focused. They're very focused on optimizing the spreadsheets. Uh, and I think that the best 
places are actually some of the uh, in-person meetups. There are camps called Camp Fi, Camp F-I. Uh, I do a women's financial independence meetup a few times a year called Sense, C-E-N-T-S, Positive. And there are also some F-I Chautauquas that are held abroad. So I think the in-person gatherings are more where you can get into these deeper conversations about life and purpose, uh, much more so than online. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Tanya Hester. She's the author of a new book called Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way. You can also see more about her work at her website, which is ournextlife.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tanya Hester. She's the author of a book called Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way. Her website is ournextlife.com. Welcome back to the show, Tanya. Thank you. So you talk in the beginning part when you're thinking about doing this, of creating a money mission statement. What would be in a money mission statement? I think of the money mission statement as being a way to automate some of your decision making because we know that as humans, we only have so much willpower. And it feels like we have to rely on willpower for many of our financial decisions, but I really wanted to take the willpower out of it. So a good analogy for this is if someone is a vegetarian and you say to that person, do you want a hamburger? They don't have to stop and think about it. There's no willpower required for them to say, nope, I don't eat hamburgers. It's just an automated decision in their minds. And so creating a a money mission statement is a lot like that, of thinking through, okay, what are the decisions that are just automatic for me? And it starts with outlining your spending philosophy, which is just the money out component of that. And that's thinking through, you know, what are the things that I truly value that I spend on and I have no guilt about it? Because that's really important, I think, is taking the guilt away from certain expenditures. Then saying, what are the things that I spend money on, but only as much as necessary so that I'm not 
wasting money there. And then what are the things that I don't spend money on? So it's sort of, again, that vegetarian not having to think about the hamburger of just saying, these are things that I do not spend my money on. And then bringing it together in a money mission statement is really about thinking through that spending piece, but also situations to avoid that you know trigger bad spending habits for you and thinking about your highest priorities. So that vision that we've helped to flesh out. So a money mission statement is really just, it's almost like a a mission statement for an organization. It's saying, here's what I value. Here's why I'm focused on using my money this way. Here's what I do spend on. Here's what I don't spend on. And bringing all of that together into a concise statement so that you can internalize it. You can say to yourself, this is me. This is my money mission statement and act accordingly. Once you've gone through that exercise, it's really amazing how powerful it is for helping you, you know, again, not have to burn willpower thinking about things that maybe you used to spend on, but you know, now they don't align to your mission. So you can just cut them out entirely. So if you have a, if you're married or you have a significant other, you want to do that together because if you're going to be together, this is an important thing to get a common mission statement. Is that right? Absolutely. I think every part of this process is something you should do with your partner if you're in a relationship. The money mission statement might vary a little bit for two different partners because we're all emotional creatures. We bring emotions to our money. You might have different spending triggers from a partner. And so you want your personal mission statement to encompass that. Like I give the example in the book that I finally realized I'm just not allowed to shop at Target <laughs> because I love Target and Target has beautiful things and I'd go in for three things and leave with a shopping cart of stuff. And the only thing that worked for me to not do that was just to not shop there anymore. And so my personal money mission statement says I do not go to Target, but my husband Mark doesn't have that same problem, so he doesn't have to say that. But the big picture pieces of it are the same. Our vision for what we want from life, our vision for what our money's for, those things absolutely you should try to get to a place of alignment with your partner on. Okay, so that's kind of setting the goal and this is something you want to do. Now let's do, talk about the financial steps you need to make to make, be able to make that happen. The first one is investing to fund your future. So what are some ways that people can invest while they're still working and producing their maximum income that can build up the capital they need to be able to retire early? Yeah, I, I'm really a big fan of simplicity, and I will say I am I am not a licensed financial advisor, uh, so please take all this as educational. Uh, but I think most people who get into the early retirement idea discover that there's all of this deliberate obfuscation out there of a lot of advisors and planners trying to make finances sound really complicated so that you feel like you have to hire someone else to manage them for you. And many of us who get into this realize, actually, there's tons you can do on your own and also that you just don't need a complicated strategy. You don't need to beat the markets long-term. You just need to match the markets. You don't need to have a million different funds in your portfolio. You just need a few that have very low fees so that those fees are not eroding your gains. And so I talk through the options in the book that you can do. Some people are going to be drawn to something like dividend investing, where you're never drawing down principal and you're just collecting dividends. But that approach does require you generally to save a lot more or to invest a lot more, and it might take you longer. Talk about index fund investing, which is which seems to be the most popular option among early retirees. And I talk a little bit about real estate investing. So you'd buy properties and then rent them out and use the rental income as your cash flow. That's a much more technical way to go. So if that's of interest, there are some resources listed in the back of the book that will give you a ton more detail on that. Uh, But 
it's it's really about finding the approach that appeals to you that that feels most interesting and also most doable. And then the final piece that I talk about is how to think about your investment pool. If you want to think about your early retirement and your traditional retirement as all one thing with one pool of funds, or if you want to do what we do, what we did and save as separate phases. So we used our tax advantaged funds. So like 401k, IRA, that stuff. And we funded our traditional retirement and we're actually leaving all that money alone. There are ways that you can legally access that money early without penalty, uh, but there are some pretty significant hoops you have to jump through. We decided we don't want to do that. We want to leave more money for our later years when there's a lot of uncertainty. And then we focused in those last six years of saving up of really funding some taxable uh, investments. So just regular brokerage account investments that are funding our early retirement. So we're using that money until we get to about age 60, and then we'll switch over to the tax advantage stuff. But I talk through in the book how you can make the choice of which of those approaches is right for you and then how to structure them uh, depending which way you decide to go. One area you talk about are robo-advisors where it's kind of a black box that's picking which mutual funds or what your asset allocation is. Have you had good uh, experience with robo-advisors so far? I, I'm not a big fan of robo-advisors. I know that they are still evolving, and so this could certainly change. But a lot of the robo-advisors that are out there right now charge fun or ch- charge fees rather that I think are too high, that are too erosive to your gains. There's also the fact that they can make decisions behind the scenes that trigger capital gains tax or trigger taxable events uh, for income purposes. And that's something that with a lot of us in early retirement having to buy health insurance off the healthcare exchanges, the price that you pay for your health insurance is dependent on your income. And if now all of a sudden you have this robot in the background triggering sales and messing with your income, that might mess up both your health insurance premium and just your general income tax calculations, where a lot of folks are trying to stay under a certain cap for tax purposes. And it's it's hard to do that if something is acting in the background without you knowing it, triggering all these taxable events potentially. Yeah. Another thing you talk about is Social Security. Now, typically, you can't start collecting Social Security till age 62, and it's probably better to wait till 66 or 70. Mm-hmm. So what role does Social Security play if you have fewer years paying into it? Yeah, so the the basics are if you haven't worked full-time for 10 years approximately, then you don't have enough credits to even qualify. That's something that I think folks don't talk about enough. There are some folks I've seen who've been able to early retire in their 20s, which is amazing, but they probably won't qualify for Social Security at all. Uh, so thinking first about your credits, and then, of course, the benefits you get are calculated on your 35 highest earning years. And if you have a lot of zeroed-out years in there, that's going to bring down your benefit. Basically, for those who are retiring now in their 30s or 40s, Social Security is so many years off in the future. There could be changes to it. There could be means testing added to it. We just don't know. So my advice is the younger you retire early, the less you should even factor in Social Security. So for Mark and I, we don't count it at all. Uh, All of our calculations in our later years are based on just what we've invested, not based on getting anything from Social Security. We do rely on Medicare. We, We sure hope that that's there in some form for us. Uh, but we have a spending cushion built in so that if it's not, we'll still have other options. But we consider Social Security, if we get anything from it, to be gravy or to be kind of our healthcare buffer to add a little bit of insurance against added costs. So it's it's something that, you know, if you're over 50 now, you can probably count on it. But I think 
just generally, the less everyone can rely on Social Security, the better, because it is a, a federal policy that's going to kind of ebb and flow with po- the political winds. Two other things you say people should not count on to, for early retirement are annuities and cash value life insurance. Why would that be? So cash value life insurance is just generally, you know, a fairly bad investment. It has very high fees associated with it, and you can do much better buying term life insurance and then investing the difference. It's just simply a matter of the returns that you get on it. In terms of annuities, there are some that are better than others, but in general, the fees that you get or uh, the fees that you pay and the returns that you get, you know, most of the upside of investment growth is going to the financial institution. And you as the retiree, the person drawing on the annuity, are not getting the upside of that. So again, kind of overall historically, you're going to do better just investing that money yourself. You know, if you're if you're over 70 or so and you just want certainty, uh, I'm not going to argue with anyone that an annuity will give you certainty, but you should look very closely at them, look very, very closely at the fees, which are not always easy to find, and make sure that you're just being really, really deliberate about decisions around annuities. Now, one of the biggest things you're going to spend money on in retirement, whether it be earlier or later, is shelter. So what are some of the things you should be thinking of as far as where you live and uh, how you should pay for putting a roof over your head? Yeah, you know, Shelter is something that we tend to think of in terms of very present tense terms. So where am I living now? What does that look like? When you're planning for an early retirement and a traditional retirement, you're looking at a time horizon that could be incredibly long. It could be 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And over that time, your needs and interests are probably going to change. So you want to make sure that you build into your plan enough flexibility that you can adapt. So for example, we know some people now who are in their 30s and 40s who live full-time in RVs and travel around and, you know, live at campgrounds and get to move every day. And it's a very uh, exciting lifestyle. And that's that's great for now. But what about if you're 70 and you have a health problem now? Are you still going to be able to live in that RV? Or we know as it's written currently, Medicare does not cover nursing homes, but it does cover in-home care. Well, can you get an in-home healthcare provider to come to your RV at a trailer park? Maybe not. Uh, you might then be forced to go into a nursing home. So do you have enough flexibility in your plan to move, to get into an apartment or a house later in life? And again, this is just one example using kind of folks who are RVing now, but just making sure that you're thinking through your housing as you age so that you're giving yourself the ability to stay put instead of taking on the higher costs and just, you know, no one wants to go into a nursing home. So you don't want to feel like you're forced into that because you haven't given yourself options with your housing. In some cases, might it make more sense to rent instead of buy where your costs would be lower and you could use the capital that would normally be tied up in the house and investments to give you income? Absolutely. I I think that renting is often underrated. There is definitely the idea in the U.S. especially that home ownership is the path to wealth. But I talk in the book about how to make that choice and how to do the calculation. I think when Mark and I eventually move out of the mountains, when we're older and sick of the cold, we will almost certainly rent. Uh, So the decision to buy is also not a permanent one. So just thinking about what's right at each stage of your life, it's it's important to look at all of it, of your living situation, whether you rent or own, all of those can be valid choices depending on your own needs. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Tanya Hester. Her book is called Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way. You can go to her website as well, which is ournextlife.com. We'll be back after this. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Tanya Hester. Her book is called Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way. Her website, ournextlife.com. Welcome back to the show, Tanya. It is a delight to be here. So let's talk about the non-penny-pinching way. What are some of the realistic ways that people can save significant amount of money, which allows them to retire early? Yeah, you know, I learned so much from my early career experience trying to save money when, frankly, I failed at it. I was really, really bad at saving. I'd say, you know, I just want to save 100 bucks this month. And I'd get to the end of the month and have no money left before the next paycheck and say, oh, gosh, I'm a failure. And I accidentally stumbled onto the approach of paying myself first, which is a tried and true concept in financial planning, but something I kind of had to learn on my own. But I stumbled into it when my company got a new payroll system and we had to do new paperwork for automatic deposit. And it gave the option to put the money into two different accounts. And I thought, huh, what if I put 50 bucks into savings out of each paycheck? And I don't even notice it. And and so I did that and I didn't really give it another thought. And a few months later, I checked and I had a few hundred bucks in my savings account. And it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was more than I'd ever saved before. And it really was a huge light bulb moment for me of, you know, if I have to actually make this active choice to save money, it's much harder than if I just make sure that it happens automatically and in the background. And so I talk a lot in the book about all these different ways that you can automate savings so that it happens without you having to make that conscious choice over and over again. A great example of this for anyone who has a 401k or a similar retirement plan at work, you know that that money just goes away pre-tax. You never even see it in your paycheck. You don't think about it. And that is the best way to save. So it's how can you replicate that in different ways in your own life. So maybe it's having your paycheck split. Maybe it's having automatic investing set up so that your second paycheck of the month, the one when you're not paying your rent or your mortgage, you're having an equal amount to your rent or your mortgage come out in uh, investments so that you only see that money in checking for a day, but you never really feel like you have that money. Uh, I also talk about ways that you can save faster simply by constraining your spending and increasing your income. So if you can get to what I call a comfortable spending level in your life with what you're earning and then focus on earning more, and I give some different options for doing that, whether it's 
working harder in your current job, whether it's taking a new job and negotiating harder for salary, whether it's retraining for a different career path. There are a lot of different ways that you can earn more. But then if you can bank all that new money that you're earning and just keep your spending level, that also is going to let you save a lot of money very, very quickly. And I give some illustrations in the book and also in the accompanying worksheets on the book website so that you can see how quickly that can happen. Uh, those are really, to me, the biggest ways to save fast. You you save so much more quickly that way than you do by trying to save uh, through coupons, like clipping 30 cents at a time. I mean, if you love that, if you love coupons, there's nothing wrong with that. But I really tried through looking at some of these other ways to to give people the biggest bang for their buck so that you're not spending all your time thinking about how to save money. You're just putting some systems into place to do it for you, and then you're just living your life, and you're saving money in the background. It's it's pretty magical, actually. The more automatic you can make it, the more likely it's going to happen. Yep. So on the uh, spending side, you talk about a lot of different spending. Just one example would be travel. How, how mm-hmm. can you save a lot on travel over the way people traditionally do it? Yeah, so I think travel is a great example. It's something that we care a lot about. Mark and I love to travel. Being able to travel was a huge part of our motivation to retire early. But you don't have to do it one way. You know, there we're sort of trained in the US that you stay in a, you know, decent hotel and you eat at restaurants and you travel over natural breaks. But if you can do things like travel off peak. So we went to France last year, but we went in November instead of in July and prices were dramatically lower. And we also stay in local type hotels. When we were in Taiwan last year, we could have stayed at the Marriott in Taipei and that would have cost $200 a night. Instead, we stayed at these little local hotels that cost about $35 a night. Uh, The room is tiny, but you still get a full-size bed. Uh, It's still a totally decent lodging experience, but you spend a lot less money. So I think being able to travel more like folks do locally in countries is a great way to to save money. Also, eating street food, buying groceries and cooking for yourself, maybe staying at an Airbnb where you get a kitchen. Those are great ways to save money. Uh, It's not to say you can't go to restaurants, but, you know, kind of looking at it of like, how would you live if you were a local in this place? That's often a good way to to trim costs back and just traveling off peak when flights and everything else are cheaper. So the end of your book is about making the big leap. So what are the kind of financial and psychological uh, steps you need to take? You've been doing this for like six to 10 years. You're now ready to pull the ripcord. What is that process like? Yeah, a lot of it, hopefully you've done the the thinking that we've talked about already this hour of thinking through what you want your purpose to be, how you're going to find yourself valued in society, but really thinking through some of the other big pieces, like how are you going to get enough social interaction? Even if you don't like the people you work with, they are still serving a purpose in your life of giving you social interaction every day. And when that's suddenly gone, especially if you retire much earlier than most of your friends and all your friends are at work when you're suddenly having this free time, that can be really rough. So thinking through, okay, do I need to join some new clubs or get into some new activities to be around people? That's really important. Other things that are you know very logistical are making sure you have health insurance if you can no longer get it through a job. You may have to now pay quarterly estimated taxes if you're uh, not having money withheld by an employer in a paycheck. There are, are some things like that that I give checklists on. But a lot of it is really about learning how to live in an unstructured world, how to get social interaction, and 
Also, just little things like thinking through how you're going to celebrate the moment. We know from research that people who don't celebrate their retirement, who just kind of slink off, end up feeling very differently through the rest of their lives than those who celebrate it as a big life moment. So I really recommend that folks throw yourself a party if you need to, but celebrate your retirement, call it retirement or call it whatever it feels like to you, just whatever life transition it is. And and note that moment, you know, celebrate that ritual so that you can kind of move into the next phase of your life feeling very celebratory. So at the end, you talk about living a purpose-filled life. Maybe you have a story or two or some people in addition to you and, and Mark that have actually done this and felt very fulfilled by the whole thing. Yeah, you know, it, it's been amazing. The book has only been out a few weeks, but in that time, the letters I've started to get of people who've said that some of the exercises in there really helped them rethink what they they want their life to be about. And I've heard from some folks who've said, you know, I, I thought that I really just wanted to focus on catching up on sleep and traveling, but now I realize I really want to take on this issue in my community. So I heard from one person who is now going to dedicate herself to tackling hunger in her community, which I thought was was really just amazing. Uh, we've seen others who have started businesses that, you know, all they dreamed of was quitting work and never having to work again. But then suddenly when they had all this free time, they realized, no, actually, I do want to work. I just want to work on my own terms. I don't want to work for someone else. And I think that's been my own experience as well is certainly writing a book is work. Uh, doing my blog is is work on some level, although it's work that I love, so it doesn't feel like work. Uh, but when you're not doing it for someone else and and using someone else's arbitrary deadlines, it's truly amazing how different it feels. So a lot of what I've heard people doing truly is work related, but it's a wholly different kind of work that most people never have the freedom to undertake. And so it's it's a tremendous gift. So what kind of a difference can it make in people's lives who pulled us off successfully having followed the steps you talk about in the book? I mean, I think we all know how unhealthy our current work culture is. We now are working almost a full uh, month, a year more uh, than our grandparents did. And we're seeing, you know, having to be reachable at all times. People have their cell phones on vacation. They're checking email. Uh, we can never really unplug. And I think that it is a really beautifully healthy thing to be able to unplug for real and to recharge your batteries in a real way and to derive meaning from life that isn't just about your title or your paycheck. So those are the the big things that honestly this is about. It's it's you know whether you agree with the term retirement uh, or not, I think that's not important. What's important is just having the freedom to shape your life and make it about whatever you want to make it about. That's really what this book is. It's, it's helping you figure out what you value in life and in money and then put all of that into action. Well, terrific. Thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Tanya Hester. Her book is called Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pitching Way. You can also see more about her at her website, which is ournextlife.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Tanya. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.